Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and thank you for joining me here on this program that comes your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at those times. And that is Pacific Time. Podcasts are at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many, many others. And when you're listening to the SoundCloud portion of the podcast, if you will, there's a little grocery cart in the upper right-hand corner of the player. Click on it. It'll take you to our guest's website so that you can then continue your evolutionary process. And if you like what we're doing here on the program, we ask you to support us financially if you can. That's why we have a PayPal and Patreon account. They are, uh, in my opinion, much more secure. I've had many experiences using PayPal where I've had to use some of the some of the features to uh, secure certain things, and uh, they've been very gracious. Uh, they haven't given me everything that I've always wanted, but uh, they're certainly there to help, and it's great to have that that kind of middleman, if you will. So if you can do so, we uh, greatly appreciate that. Again, Patreon and PayPal accounts. Our program today is going to focus on uh, yoga. In my guest's new book, Gravity and Grace, How to Awaken Your Subtle Body and the Healing Power of Yoga, you will not find advocacy for any particular yoga style or tradition. This is... It's not a how-to manual instructing you how to shape your body into the ideal pose in ideal ways. This book teaches how to be guided by subtle energy or the sensations you create in your move on your mat. It will lend an added dimension to the next leg of your yoga journey and a new perspective with the potential to transform your practice. And while it it does offer instruction, it does offer instruction centered on common yoga poses, its essence is less about how to do the pose and more about how to be the pose, engaging all levels of yourself, physical, mental, and spiritual, and both of your yoga bodies. Didn't know there were two of them. We'll find out from our guest. And the physiological body of flesh and bone and the movement of subtle energy within it. We all come to yoga as we are, accompanied by the best teacher we could ever have, the teacher within. Within this book, may you find the tools that you need to hear that inner teacher and the encouragement to let it guide you. Our special guest today is uh, a gentleman who has written a wonderful little book, uh, actually not so little, but nonetheless, it is a book you're going to want to get your hands on uh, in more ways than one, Gravity and Grace, How to Awaken Your Subtle Body and the Healing Power of Yoga. Peter Stereos is my guest from, uh, <laughs> very interestingly enough, Santa Barbara County, San Luis Obispo, I think, probably county. Peter, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Uh, thank you for having me, Richard. Uh, now, I, I, I want to know uh, if you are sitting presently in any particular pose that would probably break my legs. <laughs> no, actually, I'm just sitting in my office um, and uh, in a very ordinary sitting pose that uh, I think you're probably doing the same. <laughs> now, I'm curious, because this this comes to mind uh, as we get started. 
I was introduced to a particular type of energy many years ago, uh, probably... Okay, I've been in the business 40 years, been on my search for 42 years since I was 17, and I found out about this particular energy through uh, my metaphysical primer, Autobiography of a Yogi, and that is the Kundalini energy. At least that's what it was called through that portal, if you will. And that's yes. the energy that runs up and down the spine or, you know, um, of what significance is that energy, and is that what you call it as well? But is that is that uh, is yoga significant to the movement uh, and or the flow uh, and the direction of that flow of that energy in terms of our well-being on all of the significant levels that we'll be talking about today? Um. That is such a big question, Richard. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle it, you know, in a in maybe a, a a little tidbit here, and then we can see where that conversation leads us. Sure. I had this. I read the that same book probably about 40 years ago as well, and it it literally was uh, such a profound awakening reading this that the way the author was describing these subtle body energies, I was so out of any realm of possibility for me when I was reading this book, like, what is this? Is this just, you know, someone's um, creative mind? Is this real? How can I, if, if it is real, how can I find it? How can I feel it for myself? And it really the reading of that book, I would say, was one of my first introductions to yoga, even though I hadn't even been practicing yoga at that point. The, the, the desire to find out more about it, that book stimulated that. And then just as fate would have it, you meet a yoga teacher for the first time and you, all of a sudden you've got some context to have a conversation with someone and and yet back in those days, no one really that that book was so, you know, ahead of its time, let's say, in terms of what Western yoga is all about. And and I didn't have any experiences with this uh, energy that's referred to as Kundalini for probably 20 years. And and frankly, the teacher that I studied with for 20 years used to say Kundalini is an obstacle. Don't don't worry about it. You know, it's it's not anything that special and and so what what i'm what i'm going to say here is that these experiences where we find ourselves beyond the normal and and, and I, I i would say what is our normal existence that we you know have this life of physicality and we have sensations in our body that most of us are familiar with some people there's pleasure and there's pain and and most people i would say have a, an attraction to pleasure and an aversion to pain and when we go beyond those two sensations in the body it, it's it gets a little fuzzy and and it, especially since a lot of what we're talking about now and and further in this conversation kind of steps outside the normal Western scientific framework. And, and it's, it's beyond, let's say, our five sensory experience of life. So as I continued to practice yoga, 
I started having sensations that were neither pleasurable or painful. They were, let's say, unique. And, and I describe these in the book. Um, some of them were f- frightening because I had no context to relate uh, what I was experiencing from my ordinary life. And there were very few people back 25 years ago or so when I first started having these to go to and say, what, what, what is this? And ultimately, now I've, I've come to realize what my teacher was warning us about, uh, not just me, but all of his students, that this idea that we do have the ability to experience life beyond the normal, what, do, what is that experience good for in this normal life that we find ourselves in? And for me personally, these experiences have helped me um, come to terms with the temporary existence we have on this planet. You know, like ultimately we're all going to look at our last breath here. And when we look at our last breath, there's obviously this curiosity, what lies beyond that last breath? And these experiences that I've had in yoga makes me um, aware that we're much more than our physical bodies, that we, we have a presence that in, in what I feel at this point in my life carries beyond that threshold between life and death. And that's in a way comforting, in a, in a way that's like, okay, we, we all have this mystery of what comes after life. And uh, can we approach that mystery without anxiety? Can we, can we approach that mystery with, you know, openness? And for me, that's what the practice of yoga gives me. It gives me this openness to possibility. And that you know, I'm not alone in this. There are many traditions that believe that we, reincarnate in some form and that we that this life energy that we possess doesn't die when our physical body dies so um that's you know in terms of subtle energy that i'm aware of how the book brings that awareness of subtle energy back into an everyday life is how do we deal with these other sensations that are more familiar like especially pain to me, the practice of yoga is this amazing tool for us to deal with the minor aches and pains that we experience throughout life. And I, I constantly am in conversations with people about, you know, let's say the injuries that I've experienced in my life and the ailments, different different uh, diseases that I've worked with over, you know, 63 years. And thank God for yoga, for me, like I, I've, I'm not on any medications. I've never really been on medications other than, you know, intermittent treatments for various things. And to me at this point in my life, I'm in awe of how well the physical body um, will bring balance back into your physiology and your psychology with a little bit of yoga. I know growing up, uh, 
in this business, in broadcasting in the 80s and 90s, and I happened to work for uh, 15 of those years uh, from uh, 80 to 95 for a Christian station, and it was a real interesting concept to think about uh, and get criticized for because uh, obviously they didn't understand uh, I always tried to remind people that um, even Christianity is an Eastern religion. Uh, of course, that all depends upon, uh, you know, you go to the East from where we are in the United States. Unless, right. you, unless you want to go to the West and take a lot longer going across the Pacific Ocean, we always, uh, I mean, think about it. Uh, there is no place in the United States. We have the Midwest, but we don't have the Mideast, okay? We, we don't refer to uh, anything... West of, say, the, 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 uh, the Atlantic states, uh, we don't refer to that as the Middle East of the United States. I've never heard that said. But when you talk about the Middle East, everybody knows, oh, that's like Israel and Egypt and, and Jordan and Saudi Arabia and so on and so forth. And so I would say, well, then Christianity, which has its birthplace, if you want, in uh, Bethlehem, or Jerusalem, whichever you, I don't care which one you pick, it's Israel. Um, that's the Middle East. And uh, so don't be afraid. It's okay. <laughs> Plus the fact there was a, there's a biblical passage that is translated, do not be unequally yoked or joined. Well, but that's also the definition, the word uh, joined or yoked, is also the definition, it's one of many, of the word yoga, which is Sanskrit. Uh, and there's also, I mean, there are a number of different books these days, but even going back to the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, uh, which I'm still working my way through. Uh, but there's so much information about how we can, and this is something we're talking about here in 2020, the year of perfect vision, we're telling people, Please set aside what you see and hear and feel on the outside and start turning your vision inward because that's the only way that you as an individual are going to understand your part in all of this stuff that's going on around you, uh, which you're going to find out is minuscule at best, even from my perspective, my role is is tiny by comparison um, to what people might think. And I need to be listening to that still small voice. I need to be following my intuition. Does yoga help you, uh, Peter, to get in touch with not just the still small voice we could call the divine, but let's let's for the sake of argument, let's split that in half and say uh, to your still small voice and the divine. And then I'm going to let you take it from there. Most people's approach to yoga and, and I can firsthand experience with this. Most people's experience, uh, first experience of yoga is a, a physical type of exercise and uh you know, what, what do we do for, in my situation? I was an athlete. I, I, I experienced my first yoga class more as a athletic challenge than anything, um, super spiritually oriented. It was more about, oh, this might help me with my stiff hamstrings. For instance, being an athlete, I had really tight hamstrings and, 
it was just like, okay, I can see where this is going to benefit me. And, and the competitive athlete that I was, I just put it in my toolkit. And that's what yoga was for me for the first, say, five or six years of practicing. It helped me open up my body physically. And uh, that opening physically created, um, what would you call it, like a positive experience. It, it was literally like someone giving you a good back massage or, you know, you, your body just felt amazing. And so this started to work its way into my psychology a bit. And as I started to study, instead of just practice yoga, but actually study yoga and read these books like the Yoga Sutras from Patanjali and, and other writers, um, I started to see this inseparable connection between the mind and the body. If we if we have a negative thought, it produces a negative wave or a negative current in our nervous system or in our endocrine system or in our digestive system. So, and this is, science is showing this crystal clear now that we have like say this whole neuropeptide uh, network uh, chemistry in our body, how it's so influenced by both positive and negative emotions and thoughts. So how do we gain control over that so that we aren't creating obstacles or uh, resistance, let's say, to balance and health in our current uh, bodies and state, states of how we live? Yoga is this wonderful practice that starts on this, for most, this physical level. It evolves through continuity into a more... Uh, psychological practice where we start to be more sensitive to our thoughts and the effects that our thoughts create. And without a whole lot of like, uh, I, I mean, it's literally a natural process. This is what I love about yoga. I, I wouldn't consider myself an incredibly uh, a scholar or uh, high intellect in, in yoga science, let's say. But I definitely consider myself an expert on how the physical practice of yoga can create these powerful uh, awakenings, let's say, to these subtle experiences. And you can call them spiritual if you like, um, if you're oriented that way. And I, I personally am oriented that way where I feel this connection in these deep states of stillness that you mentioned where I feel connected to some divine source and that divine source I also related as intuition I get uh, a, a, a voice or, or, or at least uh, some kind of thought energy that enters and gives me insight into situations that maybe I didn't understand fully until I got into that state. I, I guess the it's like looking through a clear lens versus a cloudy lens. I could see things more clearly. I could be present with things and see what it actually I was experiencing, what the reality of it is and how much of it is illusion. These are all helpful skill sets, let's say, especially in this day and age when we have all we have to do is pick up a newspaper or magazine or go on the internet 
And, you know, the world, there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of the appearances of, of uh, imbalance socially, politically, financially, environmentally. And how, how do we as an individual cope with all that? And for me, it, it's, it's this constant in my life for the last 45 years. I have a yoga practice. Mm. And the yoga practice has changed as I get older, but it's essentially the same. It's conscious movement synchronized with conscious breathing. And the shapes of the poses, almost irrelevant. It's more about the movement conscious movement associated with this conscious breathing and then some you know simple techniques mentally how to use visualization and um, intuition and bring those into the equation the the website is uh, levity yoga now that's spelled l-e-v-i-t-y-o-g-a levity yoga it's all one word and you only have one Y, so so keep that hey. in mind. Uh, Peter Stereos is my guest. Uh, what is ERYT-500? What, what is that a reference to? Um, the Yoga Alliance has, a, a, uh, let's say, a, an accreditation of teachers that you go through certain number of hours of training. And because I predate the organization of yoga alliance the e means these old guys that have been doing yoga for a long time <laughs> registered yoga teachers so okay. the eryt basically means i never went through let's say a formal training as they are appearing today as a you know a 200 or a 300 hour program at a certified yoga school of yoga right. i went to india i studied with masters in india you know, literally 30 years ago before any kind of accreditation um, organization. And because of the number of hours of practice and teaching, they just kind of basically gave me a certificate. And that's what the ERYT 500 means. It's it, it they're they're basically a, a, an indication that I've been doing it a while. And, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll convert yeah. that E to elite, elite okay. registered yoga teacher. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and as you say, you've been doing it for more than 40 years down up there in San Luis Obispo from our perspective here in Santa Barbara. You've also created an organization, if you will. You're the creator of, uh, uh, I believe it's pronounced Manduka, Manduka, yeah. Manduka which is a, uh, a leading eco-yoga product uh, produ products company based in Los Angeles. And uh, you have uh, a lot of other accolades to your name as well. You've got one of the first uh, DVD, uh, DVDs uh, regarding uh, grace and gravity. Uh, and that was uh, listed in the uh, Yoga Journal as one of the top 15 yoga videos of all time. Lots of other information here as well. Award-winning architect. Now, that's what's interesting, too. I'm, I'm going to venture that feng shui, which is, I think, is that not Japanese or is it Chinese? Yeah, it's, it's uh, feng shui is, is from Japan. From Japan. That has to play some kind of role, I would think, in the designs, not just of the buildings, but also the layout of whatever's going into it. Of course. The... 
you know, ironically that I have these parallel careers. I'm still a, a licensed architect practicing doing architecture. Um, I'm also, you know, a traveling yoga teacher. And, and over the years, I've come to see that uh, connections, let's say, between um, these qualities of when you walk into a building. Let's say, for instance, you walk into a, a, a Gothic cathedral in Europe or, you know, the, in contemporary architecture, there's an architect named Frank Gehry who lives in L.A. and he's created all these magical concert halls and art gallery buildings with these ribbons of, you know, structure that just is so elegant and and you literally you walk into one of these spaces and there's a, a such a powerful sense of awe you know that's this feeling of awe that just draws energetically you into this present moment experience of the building that same experience uh you can create doing yoga when you do find the stillness that we've been talking about and you realize this inner experience of yourself and there's places within yourself that feel either congested or spacious. Most of us come to yoga with some kind of physical limitation, whether it be like in my case, tight muscles, or let's say you have a particularly stressful life where you're sympathetic nervous system is always kind of in lockdown mode because you're dealing with the stress of your job or the stress of the freeways or the, whatever the stressors are. And, and so when your experience has been colored by this constant stress, when you, when you use yoga to open into these places of subconscious tension and for the first time maybe in years or ever, you can release that grip, that that psychological grip that the sympathetic nervous system uses to protect in, in that fight or flight mode uh, of your nervous system. When you release that through the practice of yoga, that same sensation, and I'm talking now not just a, a visualization, but an actual sensation that your body feels of being in awe of releasing that tight muscle or that tight, that tension in your body that was held there because of some trauma. It's the same experience. It's that same awness of this space you feel walking into an, a beautiful building that it's the spaciousness that when you inhabit those inner spaces that were previously contracted and, and closed down, and when you experience that, it, it literally, the word in, in Sanskrit is ananda. You get these little moments of bliss. Ananda means bliss in English. And what does bliss feel like for you? I mean, that's, that's a question I ask my students all the time. Like, what is the feeling of bliss? How can you describe bliss? What does it feel like? What does it look like? And that... I mean, how many times do we even bother to take the time to look at that? Like, okay, we like the idea of bliss, but how do we find it? And then how do we allow our bodies to feel it? And coming back to yoga, it, for me, yoga is this 
practice that anyone can do at any point in their life in any physical condition. Now, does that mean that every style of yoga is appropriate for any age, person, or level of experience? Of course not. You know, that the yoga, there is no one yoga. The yoga is such an adaptable practice that really tailors to the individual. And can you find, if you're new to yoga, um, can you find a teacher that gives you that permission to start where you're at and then work with these principles, let's say, of practicing yoga that gives you a sense that exactly where you're at is exactly where you need to be. And these tools, these principles of practicing give you things to work with as you develop more intimacy with these limitations, these physical or mental limitations that you experience in life. Um, so, Levity.com is the website. Peter Stereos is my guest. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment as we take a short little break here on Tell Me Your Story here during the year 2020, the year of perfect vision. Don't you... Don't you go away. Don't have to worry about uh, uh, all of the various aspects of the poses and positions and this and that and the other, which we might talk about a little bit in our second segment. Uh, just uh, just relax and uh, take a listen, and we'll be back in just a moment. Tell me your stories. I'll do my best to understand you. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I am not in any other position but sitting in a chair, trying to sit upright uh, at least. Uh, I'm not up against the back of the chair uh, with my feet flat on the floor. Uh, it's one of those things, Peter, Peter Stereos, who is my guest, uh, author of uh, Gravity and Grace, uh, that I learned in some of the personal growth programs I went through in the 80s and early 90s, where they asked you to sit in what they called was an open body posture. Uh, a little more difficult to do when you're sitting on the floor, uh, but if you're sitting in a chair, uh, you can sit back, leaning up against the back of the chair, or sitting forward on the front of the chair with your feet both firmly on the floor and both hands resting, the left hand on the left knee, the right hand on the right knee, and that way you are open to that which is being presented from the facilitator. And when you cross your arms, I found this interesting. You know, we were, I was thinking about going into some of the various postures, but from what you've described, as you said early, as we wrapped up the last segment, the, the postures are, are not really relevant to what we're, what we're conversing about. But the postures that we take in day-to-day -day life literally can make all the difference in the world. If I stand here, if I sit here with my arms crossed in front of me and my legs crossed, uh, say, at, even at the ankles, um, that is uh, indicative from a psychological standpoint of me kind of closing off saying, yeah, go ahead and say whatever you want, Peter. I, you know, it's no never mind to me. I really don't care. I'm just here to, I've got a list of questions written down on a sheet of paper that I was given. And the, these are, the, that's all I'm going to ask you. And then we'll be done. And then I can go on and get back into my material world and do the things I'm going to do. Uh, or it's just flat out resistance in a lot of times. And I, I see that in people, both, uh, uh, you know, on the streets here in Santa Barbara, but I also see it on TV and not so much in the th in the movies and television shows that, you know, that they're set up and they're, that's part of the drama. But in terms of like the news, when I see politicians, for example, at a news conference or being asked questions and their arms are crossed in front of them, I'm going, no, nope, he's lying because he's resisting being truthful 
Now, that's just an observation on my part. Um, what about that aspect of our personal body posture that will then interfere with our ability to connect with, communicate with, and receive from within? Our bodies have been designed to move. You know, th this simple thing uh, of moving our limbs, moving our spines, walking, running, you know, doing cartwheels. The, why, why do we move? Because as, as beings that have been designed to move, it creates joy to, to move, especially if you've ever been in situations in your life where you've been bedridden. You know, and I've had several experiences in life where I was bedridden for anywhere from four to 12 weeks. And when you have these experiences, you you ache literally for the day when you'll be able to move again. And it's it's this simple quality of movement that I don't know how these ancient yogis figured out that certain shapes of our body and certain types of movement create more ease for our, our bodies to be healthy and balanced. And just like your description and your examples, you cross certain body parts and you hold yourself with certain postures. My, my favorite posture that I kind of poke fun at is the Marine, the Marine posture, you know, like chest up, shoulders back and down, you know, this, this kind of big plate of armor on your chest to somehow create you know, the image of strength and the image of good posture. And, and in reality, when I, I, I do the same, Richard, I, I, when I look at the television or the news or, or movies, and I look at how the people on the screen are holding their physical posture, I can see this overemphasis on lifting the chest. And ultimately, that overemphasis on lifting the chest, to me, says fear mm. like there's something within that person where they feel like they have to protect themselves whether it's physical or psychological and yeah. and so yes i would totally agree now what these ancient practitioners of yoga figured out is that the body is capable of incredible ranges of motion and and beyond what let's say current western science would say is 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 uh healthy for a spine and, and you you've seen these pictures uh, online and 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 i've even you can find pictures of me online of doing these extreme yoga poses where one leg's behind your head the other leg is you know behind your back <laughs> you know it's just <laughs> craziness and, and yet why 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 would we do these things and and the answer is it's not essential that you do these things but what it shows is this beautiful potential that our bodies are capable of when we remove resistance and we're open to possibility it's mm -hmm. a metaphor in a mm -hmm. way and and so these extreme shapes sure in in the west we've taken these extreme shapes to you know, gather Instagram followers and to, you know, create this, this, uh, 
I don't know, entertainment, let's call it, for mm -hmm. mass social media marketing. Yeah. However, uh, what, what, what lies beneath all that is this openness to possibility. And that's why I teach what I teach. I, I, what I teach is accessible to a first-time beginner. In, and this just happened to me. A first-time beginner in their 80s. Wow. Like, I, I can make a class, a general all-level class, welcoming to a, a first-time beginner in their 80s. How? Because I keep movement really simple for the first half of the class. And I focus on this quality of simultaneous conscious movement with conscious breath. And the range of motion is whatever your body is capable of up to the point where you meet resistance. What does that mean? Resistance physically would be, let's say, a tight muscle or a tender joint or some other physical imbalance that maybe you were even born with. You know, I, I have people that have different lengths of legs because of their pelvis, the way they, were, they came into the world with uh, imbalance in their pelvis. Whatever it is, your unique situation, this approach that I teach, you can uh, move right to that edge of your resistance. And it's that's where yoga begins at this moment where you meet resistance and you bring together conscious breathing and conscious um, uh, movement. Now, for the people that are more experienced and they want to, let's say, take their possibility of movement a little further than I give variations. And for the people that are content where they're at in a general class, the encouragement is to just keep working on that edge. You, that's your personal edge. And the more advanced students are moving to, a, let's call it a, a edge that's further along the path. But the experience at the edge is identical for the 80 year old and the 23 year old, you know, super fit uh, person. It's, it's, we're working on that edge between, you know, I, I mean, I don't like to necessarily use the word pain in the yoga class, but essentially that's what we're dealing with. We, we've, we've grown up with this aversion to pain and yet pain in a way is the language the body uses to communicate imbalance. And how do we learn that language? Well, we have to learn it in just like when we learn to speak as children, the first, you know, you learn basic words and you learn basic things before your communication gets more elaborate. And in yoga, it's similar. When you experience pain, you have the ability to uh, modify or adjust to what you're experiencing by coming out of the pose a little bit or by taking a break, or you still have this control. And that's what my classes are like, and that's what the book's about. It's like, how do we know how far to go? And the book helps give you that answer. I think that uh, what people, I, I would venture, tend to, to get overly focused on is the pose and the duration of holding the pose to achieve something. Who knows what it is they're trying to achieve, when in fact it's not about generating pain per se. Uh, you know, it's it's about that again developing that inner life, as I like to call it. Uh, I want to get into dev defining a couple of more terms here, but first of all, sure, I want to encourage our listeners. Uh, you know, I wish you had a page on your website that had no text 
because I'm sitting here as we're talking, mesmerized by the background movement of what appears to me to be moving fractals. Yeah. And I just, it's like, and it's, it is, and, and this is what came to me. It is both sensual and fascinating at the same time. The, the fluidity and the movement of these spirals. Uh, and folks, you're going to have to go to Levity Yoga, L-E-V-I-T-Y-O-G-A dot com to see what I am seeing. I, I, you know, we, you know, uh, I don't know if there are subliminal messages in there. All there I know is, is uh, it looks pretty know, darn cool. What's amazing about you bringing this up is you're the first person who's recognized what you're looking at. And, and in a way, this image was my web designer who I didn't tell him to do this. He just, I sent him a copy of my book and he read it. And in the book, I talk about the nature of connective tissue in our bodies. I don't know if you've um, seen that cadaver exhibit, art exhibit that travels around the country from time to time of where this, I, I don't know who the artist was, he somehow got access to all these cadavers. And he, do you know, the? it's called the body exhibit or something like that. It was at the Science Center in Los Angeles for like six months. Did, mm -hmm. you, did you ever go see uh, that? No, did not. But it sounds yeah, fascinating. So, so this this traveling show, they they've kind of preserved these cadavers, and they've they've uh, surgically uh, isolated different components. Like one component might be a body of just connective tissue. So they've removed all the bones, they've removed all the organs, and it's just connective tissue. And then they've somehow put some kind of resin to keep the connective tissue with structure because the bones are missing. And you get to see how interwoven our bodies are of connective tissue. And it, it, it was when I first saw that, it was like, oh my gosh, this is such a powerful image of what really is the inhibition to movement in our bodies. If our connective tissue is tense, I could see where no matter how flexible you are in the muscle, if the connective tissue has this kind of bind to it, uh, then you're not going to be able to move freely. Now, during the writing of the book, I came across this literature about new science in the last literally five years that they've got tools now to measure the, the refinement in this connective tissue network of the body. And you know the term the scientists are using to describe it? Multifractal. And what does multifractal mean? It means that the, there's no logic or no uh, uh, organized structure to this network of connective tissue, that it's moving in in random ways, in multidimensional ways. And it, it's not as simple as uh, the muscular skeletal model of a muscle origin and to a muscle insertion, insertion onto a joint or a bone where there's this linear sense and logic, let's call it, of how a limb moves, how a muscle contracts or extends to create movement in a limb. The, the connective tissue model is three-dimensional, not two-dimensional. And so when I first saw this image, it, it was that, wow, you know, this is a fantastic image to help communicate what we're dealing with in terms of movement. And if you're looking for a simple recipe to create movement in your body, you're not going to find it because the body is more complex. 
However, these practice principles that I talked about earlier help you make sense out of how to move. And here's an example. Knowing that this network of connective tissue in our bodies, which integrates through muscle, through literally through, not just wrapping the muscle, penetrating muscle, going through the muscle, through and penetrating the organs, which is also new research in the last. And the, and the one thing that just kind of literally blew my mind is there now have instruments that are able to measure connective tissue that penetrates bone. Like when you think connective tissue just wraps bone, no, it actually, at the, this microscopic level, it actually penetrates bone. So knowing that, and this old two-dimensional model of stretching, contracting or stretching a muscle to move a limb, how do we move three-dimensionally? When you use the word stretch in a yoga class, it implies this two-dimensional movement. I use the word soften. When you soften into, let's say, the belly, when you just visualize softening your belly, you can feel, if, if you're sensitive, you can feel this change physical change in your belly and if you notice what the change is it's three-dimensional it's it's you're not stretching your belly sideways or forward or back it just kind of creates in this softening process a three-dimensional experience and that was it that word that switch of the word when you go to any of you listeners out there if you, if you do yoga next time you go to a yoga class when the instructor says stretch you know your hamstring or stretch your arm or whatever it is just mentally substitute that word stretch for soften and see what experience you have. And I think you'll find what I found and what my students find is that as we learn how to meet the resistance in our body with softness, that resistance changes all on its own. And instead of trying to mentally impose stretching into your body, you're basically creating this softness and this invitation to move further into a yoga pose. Mm. It, it's literally, you feel, I talked earlier about this idea of bliss. You feel drawn into this softening experience that creates this inner experience of space in your body. And yes, your body wants to move deeper. It wants to move further into this blissful experience. Uh, two things. One, please pass on to your webmaster, uh, your web designer, my my appreciation uh, for this background. It's just like I said, I could sit here because it's it's soft enough to the eyes, to mine, that I could sit here and I could watch this thing with some maybe some nice meditative music for for quite a long period of time. It's just fascinating. But your description, as you have researched and found about the connective tissue uh, not uh, literally infused into not only the, the organs but the bone is to me uh, the, uh, the most beautiful metaphor for our connectivity to one another. Uh, because I never even knew, I did not know that the connective tissue actually went through organs, let alone into bone, which would surpri which surprises me. Because... When you say connective tissue, you think, okay, it's just, it's glued to the bone, for example. It's just glued to the bone or glued to the outside of the heart or glued to the outside of the liver or whatever the, the part is that we're talking about. Uh, and that's it. But it's going into it, which means that the connective tissue has to have 
I don't know, its own, it's, it's got to be its own network, okay? I, and I wonder if that's ever been traced, because I, I would I find it hard to believe that the connective tissue isn't, isn't one long, shall we say, just for the sake of argument, a long strand, kind of like the nervous system is one long strand or the. No, that's exactly that's exactly what they're finding. Yeah. And that's what this that's what this exhibit that I was talking about, uh, this this body exhibit that tours around the country. I do when remember you look I, at how I, yeah, this I do. strand of connective tissue, let's say it goes from your the left side of your scalp uh-huh. down into your buttocks, yeah. you know, like it's connected. Yeah. It, and, and we would never have imagined based on this kind of rather dated model of our physical bodies of muscle and bone and joints that we had this interconnectivity, but we do. And the yogis understood this. These ancient guys understood this and they came up with practices to awaken that sensitivity to what we are are physically and and to me the reason that that we don't know about this is literally this the instruments to measure at microscopic levels these strands of connectivity through and penetrating bone that kind of equipment didn't exist five years ago. Yeah. Now it does. Yeah. So now all of a sudden the the model that we use to teach anatomy is dated. Yeah. And, and we need to update that. Well, CBS Sunday Morning, I remember that CBS Sunday Morning actually did a piece on that exhibit. I do recall that now. And they actually had several different bodies. One, of course, as you say, was of the connectivity. Then another one was of the muscles. Another one, I think, was of the of the circulatory system. And then another one of the respiratory system. And it was just so fascinating to see these elements of our bodies separated out uh, in that respect. But when I think about your the description, as you have shared with us, uh, from this this discovery in science of uh, the, uh, uh, the the connectivity the, the connective tissue, the connective tissue is probably the most beautiful representation in my observation of the divine connectivity that we all share that we're all of part a part of it doesn't start anywhere it doesn't stop anywhere it's just a continuous flow and that's where synchronicity comes in when we tap into that connectivity exactly that's exactly it um uh this is the part about the study of yoga that is literally awe-inspiring you you start to uh uncover these connections within yourself and it creates uh, an experience that changes you. It, it literally changes lives. Um, and that in, in hindsight, you know, 40 years ago, even frankly, even 30 years ago, if you'd have told me that I would have this level of awareness of not only my, my, uh, way to balance health in my body that, that I would have these tools, to heal. And I, we haven't talked so much about that and it's probably not that important at this point, but how to heal these injuries, herniated discs in the spine, which I've healed, torn rotator cuffs in my shoulders, which I've healed without surgery, same in meniscus in the knees, 
How is that possible? And it's possible because the body adapts. The body, given the right support, the body creates alternate strands, let's call it, to support these parts of ourselves that we've damaged. And that's been my experience. And I can, I mean, in the book, I I tell the story about the herniated disc, how it happened and how I healed from it. And for me, that that's changed what what I thought at the moment was something that was going to end my career as a yoga teacher turned out to be the best thing that ever happened because it gave me this, you know, education through fire, literally to create an understanding of how to support my body's own healing. When did you discover your predilection towards the metaphysical and yoga specifically. Was it 40 years ago with the reading of autobiography? That was the first book that made me question my kind of middle-class America upbringing, meat and potato kind of existence, you know, growing up in a suburb of a small town, uh, Central Valley town in California, just, uh, you know, going to church every Sunday, not really in touch with anything that inwardly motivated. And uh, that book kind of broke, cracked the, cracked the, you know, the ice around my consciousness, let's call it, it opened me up. And but it, it was still, you know, it's, it's like going to the movies, you know, you, you get these visions and you get inspired and then the movie's over and you get back to life as normal. And I, and I think that's what happened to me in the early days is I, I had these little seeds planted in me that took years to to kind of blossom or, or sprout, let's call it. And what sprouted my, let's say, deeper education in yoga was beginning a regular practice physically. And that that to me is better. If I if I tried to approach these concepts of yoga just on the mental side, and there is a a mental yoga as well. But but for me, I'm not oriented towards the mental so much as I am towards the, let's say the kinesthetic, the, the movement part of my physicality. That to me, I've been blessed with this sensitivity to these subtle sensations that in the beginning were just kind of ignored. But now with the understanding that I have that these yogis, ancient yogis provided, I understand how these sensitivities is what you need to create this health and balance. And how do you get that? Continuous practice. What does continuous practice mean? I do yoga every day. Some days it's five minutes, but it's sitting on my mat or laying on my mat and doing some basic things with breath and little bits of movement. Other days it's two hours when I have the luxury of time on those days. I get a more, let's call it whole body workout. And when I say whole body, I don't just mean the physical body. I mean the inner and the outer body where my mind is also working in as my physical body is working out. And it just happens naturally. You don't need to be a scholar for these um, insights to present themselves to you. Well, I have never really been a practice, uh, one who practiced has practiced yoga. I remember as a kid growing up, however, uh, my mother watching uh, a, a Hatha yoga program on public television 
and she would, you know, she would follow along with what they were doing there on the TV and so forth. Uh, I was a pretty active kid, so I, you know, I didn't, I mean, I didn't think much of it at the time. Uh, I'm not much of a meditator, and I, I, I excuse my lack of meditation by using the quote from uh, Teresa Vavila, who says that God is amongst the pots and the pans. So when I'm at work, I'm with God, and that's my meditation. <laughs> that's and, awesome. And that's my out. <laughs> but yeah, it is, there's, there's an incredible uh, intelligence in what you've just said, in, in the fact that when you think about sacred and you think about the divine, an example for me is my office where I'm talking to you at the moment. Um, I, I look out into a uh, green belt area where I live and I'm surrounded by huge sycamore trees and birds and, and even these trees to me are the divine and all I have to do is spend a moment in silence and and feel the presence of these magnificent trees around me and i'm in i'm in church i I, i'm literally in a temple and i think nature does that for most people like if you live in a city it, it would be helpful in your you know seeking health to make sure you carve out some time each week to go to a park or to have this visceral experience with a tree like literally hug a tree um and it does amazing things for your parasympathetic nervous system and then you know taking that another step further there's to be honest meditation is great but if you sit in meditation and your mind is like monkey mind and hyperactive it's it's almost counterproductive and and what what i find in the research that I've done, there was never much separation between meditation and yoga back when these ancient books were written. They didn't differentiate. And now in the modern era, we've kind of differentiated yoga and meditation. And frankly, yoga is just the preparation for sitting and for being in meditation. And, and I, I find that the, the meditation after a yoga class is I can, reach profound states of insight and stillness in three minutes after a yoga practice. Mm. And to me, that is extremely uh, fulfilling, let's call it, or balancing in this modern busy life. If I can do a 30-minute yoga practice and sit for three minutes within profound stillness and go about my day, uh, the life is, is better. The world around me is better. I love my wife very much, but we bought a travel trailer along with a truck a year ago to pull the travel trailer. And I love going out and doing the things that we talked about, modifying the trailer, the interior and so forth, uh, little repairs, things of this nature. Not that there are many right now because the, the, the travel trailer is brand new 2019, and, but I love being out there with my tools and the, the radio playing some music or whatever I've got from whatever source. Uh, I've got the awning out. I got the lights on and I'm just enjoying being outside. And that's the beauty of it is I'm, I'm outside even when I'm in the trailer and it's 
there's just something about that. And, and I, I take my time uh, for two reasons. Number one is I don't want to hurt myself. I'm, I'm, I'm really adapt, uh, adapted to the measure twice, cut once philosophy. Uh, and I'm not going to do anything that we discussed doing together because she, A, wants to make sure that we do it together so we know what we're, you know, what we're, or that we're on the same page. Number two is it's probably something that is moderately hazardous and she doesn't want me to get hurt if she's not, you know, and if she's not there, she, she's not going to be able to assist if, if there is a problem. But see, that's the other aspect of this is that I allow my intuition to guide me. And I use this, I share this example. One year we had a dead pine tree that was growing inside of a dog run that I had built. Now, while it was alive, it was great and it was shaded the dogs and, and so forth, but it died because of uh, bark beetle infestation. So I was there, I was cutting limbs off here and there and everywhere, and it was time to cut the main trunk but I didn't want it to ruin the, uh, you know, the, the fencing of the, of the dog run. So I put the ladder up against the tree and I moved it around about seven or eight or nine times. I got the chainsaw there and I'm ready to go and I want to get this thing cut down. But I couldn't find the right spot. It just wasn't coming to me and I wasn't going to cut the tree until I had it just so. I said, no, nope, I'm done. I'm putting the chainsaw away and I'm going inside for now, for today. I'll come back tomorrow or the next day because the tree's going to be there. And I'll figure, maybe I'll, and, and maybe it'll come to me. The next day I went out there, moved the ladder once, and I cut it down and it came down perfectly. And to me, when you, when we are out uh, doing the things that we do and listening to and and being connected to that that still small voice, if you will, I'd like to call it the connective tissue, okay, the spiritual connective tissue, uh, we can accomplish great things. We can avoid great harm, <laughs> and we can meet incredible people, especially in the context of uh, James Redfield's Celestine Prophecy, where he talks about how we both, we each have messages for one another, and we will connect with those people who need those messages at that moment for them as well as for us and uh i just i don't know that's just kind of my my uh, my life uh i'm not saying that i'm, I'm there all the time but i'm a, i i have the awareness that i need to be when i'm not and then i'll i'll back it down and um i, I will tell you this you know the monkey mind and the ego the universe has had a beautiful way of giving me my comeuppance every time I get too big for my bridges. <laughs> but they, it always does it in a relatively gentle way, just to remind me, hey, you're not alone here. We're a team. We're working together. Yes, you're an individual. That's nice. That's good. That's fine. But, you know, you, you, know, you, you, need, you need to be careful because you want to be around a long time. The wife wants you to be around a long time. A lot of people want you to be around a long time. And you've got a lot that you want to do. So to me, it's just fascinating. Give us a real brief description, if you will, of what people are going to find in uh, Gravity to Grace. I, the, the book, uh, when I wrote the book, it was a call literally to write and and I didn't really know what I was writing when I started. And ultimately now what, what I see is 
this idea that we approach our lives, it's, it's not about the force that we bring to uh, an, an experience. It's about the ease that we bring to the experience. And it's also not you know, so much about overcoming gravity, but it's about opening to this idea of grace. And, and to help the audience, these terms, gravity and grace, gravity is this force in our universe that keeps us connected physically. And in a way, grace is the equivalent spiritually, that we have this subtle connection that shows itself in these moments of grace. And that's what you'll find in the book, this, this uh, demystifying of these terms to make them practical. And uh, let me ask you one final question before we wrap up. And I was going to ask you these questions. I, I made the comment earlier about uh, defining terms, which is one of the things I love to do, uh, especially from the guest perspective. We talked about yoga and, and what have you. What in your definition is gravity, which is somewhat something we've talked about superficially, but we haven't really dived in, dive, uh, dove into it. But what's the definition of gravity in the context of the book? Um, gravity is the physical force between objects and people, literally, that keeps us connected. And grace. Definition. For me, this experience of grace is essentially the same as gravity, but just at a non-physical. It, it, if you want, it's the spiritual equivalent of connection. And we experience grace in these moments that bring us all together spiritually or bring us all together uh, energetically. Interesting. I, would they call those synonyms? In a way, they are. They just operate. One operates on the physical plane, and the other one operates, yeah. if you want to call it, on the non-physical or yeah. quantum plane. I have to tell you, I drew that from my English class in grade school, where we learned about synonyms, antonyms, and homonyms. And that's as yeah. far as we'll go with that. I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and uh, sharing with us your ideas and your concepts and your book, Gravity and Grace. We encourage people to go to your website to find out more about the work that you're doing by going to Levity Yoga, L-E-V-I-T-Y-O-G-A dot Com and get a copy of Gravity and Grace, How to Awaken Your Subtle Body and the Healing Power of Yoga. And you know, um, I talk to a lot of people from literally around the world, and I always invite them at the end of the program. Should you ever be in the area of Santa Barbara, the Central Coast, we'd love to have you in studio to continue this conversation. And you're so darn close. Uh, I heartily extend that invitation to you three times over. Thanks. <laughs> I will take you up on it. Okay. And who knows, maybe we'll lay out a couple of mats down at the beach and just just we don't have to do any poses because we've already <laughs> talked about how the poses aren't that important and just relax and enjoy the surf rolling in and have a conversation about uh, yoga and go into some more detail about some of these other aspects that you talk about in the book as well. So uh, we'll uh, we'll plan on doing something like that later on here in 2020, the year of perfect vision. Before I let you go, Peter. 
in addition to my thanks for you giving us so much time. I have three final questions that I'd like to ask all of my guests. You may have answered it, answered them in some fashion uh, during the program, but I'd like to ask them directly. And the first one is, who is Peter Stereos? <laughs> this is how you wrap up? Okay. Um, you know, Peter Stereos is this uh, set of clothes in a way that kind of, I get dressed in every morning and go about in the world, but I, I don't have a strong connection to who Peter Sterius is in that regard. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Uh, the work, you know, if I look at the book as, as three years worth of work and now it's, it's out there in the world. And my hope is, is that the people that are looking for what, the book holds, find it. People looking for healing and looking for connection, find the copy of this book and that it inspires them to basically learn what the book has to offer. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Uh, I had just had this conversation with my wife two nights ago. What is my purpose? And after all the things that I've created in my life, my, my purpose at this point is to be in service. And, and service in what way, it's really who shows up in my life on a daily basis. Um, my, my first priority, of course, is my family. And then beyond that, it's, it's the students that show up to class. And anyone who shows up seeking you know, healing or, or balance in their lives and if they're open to the yoga that I teach, then I'm in service to them. Well, Peter Stereos, I thank you so much for joining us here, showing up here on this program. Tell me your story uh, during the uh, year 2020, the year of perfect vision. We really do appreciate uh, what you have to offer, and we encourage people to investigate uh, the work that you're doing, the book Gravity and Grace, and uh, the website levityyoga.com. We will be linked to your website, as I mentioned at the front end of the program. They'll be able to click on that grocery cart as they're listening to your interview and go there and watch those fantastic moving fractals and maybe even read some of what's written there too. <laughs> Thank you. And my hat's off to your webmaster. My hat is also off to you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, love to lull.